0: This episode of No Wrong Answers is brought to you by the Kaufman Foundation, which invests in educators and lifts up the Kansas City region and is dedicated to learning together to improve educational and economic success. Learn more at Kaufman.org. A teacher strike in West Virginia captures the education world's attention. We talk with a teacher on the front picket lines in Charleston. Plus, sexting. More kids are doing it. Our teachers say they feel unprepared to talk about it. And we start a new segment, Teacher to Teacher, where our teachers talk with the teachers who had an impact on them as students. And of course, we ended up with kids these days on this episode of the No Wrong Answers podcast. Welcome to No Wrong Answers, the weekly podcast that gives you a teacherly take on the world. I'm your host, Kyle Palmer. I'm a former teacher-turned-journalist, and I'm joined, as always, by a group of hardworking teachers who are ready to talk, so let's introduce them. Luanne Fox, what do you teach? I teach high school English. David Persley, what do you teach? High school math and computer science. And Ryan So, what do you teach? I'm an elementary school speech-language pathologist. David, Luanne, and Ryan are all teachers here in the Kansas City metro area. Well, Let's get to our first segment. One of the biggest education stories in the country recently has come out of West Virginia. There's hundreds of teachers on the steps of the West Virginia State Capitol in Charleston chanting. Do your job, that plea directed at lawmakers. It's been a common scene in Charleston in recent days. Teachers in the state went on strike February 22nd. That was statewide, that is. Shutting down schools in all 55 counties and keeping more than 270,000 students at home. There have been teacher strikes before, maybe The last big one to get national media attention was in 2012 in Chicago, but the New York Times notes that this strike in West Virginia is truly one of the few statewide teachers' strikes in American history. You have to go back to 1968 in Florida to find such a coordinated and long-lasting statewide teachers' strike. Well, why are West Virginia teachers upset? Like a lot of teachers everywhere, they have a host of bones to pick with their state legislature, but this conflict comes down primarily to two things, pay And health insurance, West Virginia teachers are some of the lowest paid teachers in America with average salaries around $45,000. There's also much frustration around the state's public employee health insurance system. Recent rules changes proposed by lawmakers and supported by the state's Republican governor would lead to sizable premium increases for many teachers in the state. So not very good pay, rising health insurance costs. That's what it comes down to in a lot of respects. Though a statewide strike was called February 22nd, there have been isolated walkouts in the state for more than a month now. Tensions have been simmering for months, if not years, and the fact that this is all happening in West Virginia, a state with a long, often proud, but also tumultuous history of labor strikes in the coal industry makes many in West Virginia and beyond feel like this strike is particularly resonant and meaningful. As one teacher union leader is quoted in The New Yorker, quote, if we don't stand up for public education, we're going to go the way the coal miners did, end quote. Joining us now to talk about this is Kim Bonnet. She is the National Education Association Director for the state of West Virginia. She also teaches elementary school in Lewis County, West Virginia. She joins us by phone from her home. Kim, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Uh, I want to open it up to our teachers, David Luann, and Ryan. Um, I, I turn the mics over to you. What, what your reactions and thoughts are as teachers watching teachers in another state.
2: I'd like to know what has been the public's reaction to the teacher strike, and particularly what has been the reaction of the parents with students um, in public schools. What have they been? Um, how have they been re- reacting to uh, the schools being out?
1: We've had very good support of, our, of the public. We have, just for an example, we have people bring food every day, and it's, it's local companies. It is parents bringing their kids their kids are standing on the picket lines with us we are just constantly bombarded with you know asking us what we need what we you know what they can do for us and our superintendents it just says a lot that our our 55 county superintendents went to the Capitol and they met with the leadership and they are standing up for us and so far um this has all been they have canceled school every day so we have not lost one day of pay we will have to make up those days at the end of the of the school year but we you know we have their support and that means so much and that way the kids aren't losing a day of of school and you know we haven't had any injunctions filed against us and so it's been a you know as positive as it can be
0: yeah uh, i i wonder it's it's probably i mean maybe the question that Ryan was getting at too was um, it is politically risky, right, to to be out of school for so long and, and maybe risk the the ire of parents and and people in the public who see teachers out rallying at the state capitol, but also you know knowing that the kids aren't in school and what's you know what's going to happen to the kids probably is, right, <laughs> is something that people right. are asking too. I mean, how do you how do you navigate that? And it, but it, it does seem like there is a, a measure of solidarity with parents too.
1: Well there is and um and we do have a lot of poverty in our state and you know and especially the rural areas that we have and we um have done you know we our food banks have gotten together and we've made food packs and delivered those to you know people that need those and and also the one of the big reasons that we're that we're fighting is that our our school systems have gotten so poor literally poor <laughs> with money and with, uh, we're, we're lacking over 700 classrooms don't have qualified teachers in them. So, you know, it is, it's harming our ability to recruit teachers. It's harming our ability to retain teachers. And then, you know, with the pay and with the, the lack of, uh, benefits. Yeah, so, uh, uh, David you know, first we're just also. trying to do, be, do good PR for ourselves.
0: Uh, uh, Kim, I do want to ask, um, as I read a comment from the West Virginia state superintendent of school, Stephen Payne, he um, said in a statement that he recognizes teachers don't get paid enough that they, quote, deserve more, as he puts it. Um, but he also says, quote, the economic realities of, of our state may not allow everything teachers deserve to take place immediately. I think that's a common retort to this strike made especially by uh, Republicans and conservatives in the state legislature and I think heard by teachers in other states. Um, there's just not enough money right now for what you're asking. Well, what do you say to that?
1: Well, in our legislative agenda, they have passed tax cuts for big businesses that would more than cover our pay raise. It's what their priorities are. And we, in our state, we have a lot of gas and oil reserves. And there's lots of, you know, there's lots of ways that they could raise that revenue for us. Uh, severance taxes on the gas for an example you know we have uh gaming here we have the lottery and such and so there are lots of ways you know that they can they can if they choose to give us the raise it's not so much that they don't have the money they're just putting it in different places and that's a lot of the frustration you know
0: yeah, uh, Kim. Final question for you. Uh, you've been out of school now for more than a week. Um, it seems like there's going to be at least a few more days of of striking work stoppages and, and no school. You live in the community you teach. Uh, do you see your parents and students out and you know and about when you're not at Charleston? And and do you miss them? And you miss the classroom? <laughs> what What are you feeling about that?
1: Well, I do really miss the students and and that's a big concern of mine is to keep public support because we care so much about our students and you know we we're worried about if they have enough food and we're worried, you know, how much are they going to lose during this time because we were just saying yesterday, okay, this is this is longer than our spring break would be. You know, teachers that have state testing um uh, we're supposed to be doing a benchmark next week for an example. Uh, state benchmark and so we're just not going to be there for that and it's really frustrating and we are really concerned and we you know that's that's the only drawback to the i'm not the only but you know that's the biggest drawback is that we're worried about our students
0: that is kim bonnet she is the nea director for west virginia and also a teacher in lewis county west virginia kim thanks so much for joining us
1: thank you you all have a good day
0: Our podcast today is sponsored by the Kauffman Foundation, learning together with families, educators, entrepreneurs, and innovators to develop quality education that prepares all of Kansas City's students for the future of learning and work. Join the conversation by visiting Kauffman.org or on Twitter at KauffmanFDN. Moving on to our next topic, that perennial chestnut, Sex specifically sexting, that is the sending and receiving of sexually explicit texts. It's a portmanteau word, sexting. If you are a teacher or a parent of teenagers and think your kids have not sexted, think again. A new meta-analysis conducted by the Journal of the American Medical Association looked at nearly 40 studies from around the world related to sexting. These studies encompassed more than 110,000 kids between the ages of 12 and 7, And this meta-analysis concludes that nearly 15% of teens, that's one in seven, have sent a sext, and more than 27%, that's basically one in four, have received a sext. The meta-analysis's authors also notice teens get older. They are more likely year by year, to receive and send sex. That makes sense as you get older. The authors say that sexting is on its face, not necessarily bad. At one point, they refer to it as a, quote, emerging and potentially normal component of sexual behavior and development. But... They did say there were some troubling conclusions to be drawn from the data. They found 12 percent of teens reported that they had forwarded a sext without consent, and more than 8 percent said that a sext of theirs had been forwarded without their consent. So this raises serious questions about consent and sexual coercion. Research in the Journal of Adolescence shows that boys are four times more likely to pressure girls to send sex than vice versa. This is especially troubling when you think about so-called revenge porn and also consider that the life of digital images goes on pretty much forever. So you start to ask, what are the emotional and reputational consequences of sexting, especially when it's non-consensual and images, especially of young girls, are passed around. Uh, So uh, my teachers here today... What's your experience specifically with this issue of sexting? Have you um, caught kids doing it or had to have talks in your schools about it? Luann, no? No. You um, teach in high school? You don't, you don't go there. <laughs> I, well,
3: I, I just don't have any experience with it. Um, well, I haven't caught any kids doing it either. Ew. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> are, you, uh, are you surprised by these numbers? One in four say they've, they've received a sexually explicit text are you surprised David yeah I was gonna
4: say the main reason I'm not surprised because I can vividly recall some of my friends sexing each other in college and I felt like that wasn't the first time they'd done it because it was something they were doing pretty regularly and pretty comfortably Ryan probably David and I both grew up on the cusp of where communication and
2: technology yeah, started clashing mm-hmm. and and so when we were young instant messaging was a big thing texting was a big thing and as technology has progressed, there are now more avenues to send pictures, yeah, to send, to communicate with each other. And so I can't really say I'm surprised that, you know, well, this is so prevalent.
0: Well, I think that's why the researchers call it potentially normal. Do you think it's normal? Or do you think sexting is potentially a, a healthy, normal behavior?
3: I don't think normal and healthy are the same thing. So no, I would say I I have no disagreement that it's normal, um, because that just that's a scientific thing, right? But a healthy, I I would uh, have more to say about that probably. So then say it. Yeah. <laughs> you have the mic. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you have a microphone well, right in front I of me. I mean, <laughs> when pre- previous to instant messaging and and uh, digital communication, I mean. Seeing what the body looks like, which is that's what's completely normal and that's what's healthy, and that kind of wondering. I mean, that's the province of pictures of of other people, right? Or that which is in a dirty magazine or whatever. But I mean, that's not personal, and that's not about my classmate or somebody in my town, um, and it, it doesn't have the 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 possibility to go viral in a way that this can, and so I that's where it
4: gets really weird. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm not a psychologist, so I don't try to, you know, indulge myself in the art of psychoanalyzing children. But you've got to think sometimes, like, what compels a young one to want to send a sext? And I could imagine it. And in some ways it's wanting to feel significant, right? And I think that's a big reflection of a lot of the things they see in the media or in this day and age. Like, you know, things are very sexualized, and so I feel like sometimes they can equate their worth or like their self-image mm-hmm. in light of those reactions without thinking about the greater consequences and implications so, of doing that.
3: David, you, you said the thing about like what would compel somebody. It's just yeah. interesting because while I teach high school students and I certainly don't talk about this with high school students, I, I do have nieces that I, I visit uh, out of state and who are around the same age of the, of the people I teach a little bit younger. And I, I did ask my, my nieces about this and they would say that as as girls, they they feel compelled. They 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 get asked. They would be asked by boys, and it's that game of feeling compelled, like like will you or won't you send the text? And they hate that kind of pressure. Yeah.
0: And I would say that probably mirrors um, real world um, relations between girls and boys, yeah. right? The, this Increased. idea of, of coercion and power dynamics. Absolutely. I mean, that, that girls feel compelled to do things sexually that they're uncomfortable with,
3: right? But I think in the, I mean. Uh, I loved how Ryan was talking about like when he and David were growing up because that's markedly <laughs> different from when I was growing yeah. up. We all know that you know like that I'm a little bit older and that kind of thing. But I think if you're going to make those uh, be parallel, those situations in the former situation where it's just about word of mouth, right, and talking, um, that certainly can be damaging when a boy does that. But some of that relies or rests on the the reputation of the boy. Sometimes that 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 falls flat um, when you have a digital picture that is something that's incontrovertible, and that's something that is shareable and does not die with, you know, the person's the person's voice, basically. So they're really different things,
0: and, and, and potentially more damaging, is what you're saying. I mean, Absolutely, the, the, the yeah. sex and the digital images can get out faster. They can go farther. They can stay around much much longer.
3: Right, they, and it, and it isn't it isn't to say that the other thing, you know, back when I was right. in school wasn't bad either. I'm just pointing out that there really are differences.
0: Well, I will say I do want to point out. Uh, one final bit of research the Harvard Graduate School of Education did. They did a, a study published earlier this year called The Talk, How Adults Can Promote Young People's Healthy Relationships and Prevent Misogyny and Sexual Harassment. Uh, there's a lot of findings in this, but the executive summary has this quote that I wanted to pull. We as a society are failing to prepare young people for perhaps the most important thing they will do in life learn how to love and develop caring, healthy, romantic relationships. Most adults appear to be doing shockingly little to prevent or effectively address pervasive misogyny and sexual harassment among teens and young adults, end quote. Some of the numbers out of this study... 70% 70% of 18 to 25-year-olds, so these are people who have gone on to college and, pro- and professional careers, so after secondary education, 70% of these 18 to 25-year-olds who responded to the Harvard Graduate School of Education survey reported wishing they had received more information from their parents about some emotional aspect of, rom- of a romantic relationship, and 65% of respondents wish they had received guidance on some emotional aspect of romance in a health or sex ed class at school. So... Um, the broad overarching conclusion: uh, not enough is being done. It seems like, from the way this conversation has gone, that you you all would probably agree with that that, that there is not enough being done proactively, to to talk to, to students about this.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's clear that when things are left to their own devices, devices you allow misogyny and toxic masculinity to persist, and and I think those things are deeply as deeply ingrained into you know the dynamics of. Sexing as they are, our normal day-to-day social dynamics. I think they're kind of reflections of one another. You wonder, within the context of school, what people, students, are looking to, if anyone, to get you know, insight and perspective on those things. And in and, and yeah, I don't think a lot of schools yeah. are intentional about well, it. Well,
0: Ryan, I mean, you teach elementary school. Theoretically, sex ed begins in the upper elementary grades, right before they before students move on to to middle school. Absolutely,
2: um, we have. 4th and 5th graders who get in trouble for saying sexually inappropriate things, who sexually harass other students. Mm -hmm. So even at the elementary level, kids know about sex. Um, And to be honest, I don't know where they're learning about sex from. But if you look at the media, sex is everywhere. I think uh, this generation that's coming up, they seem to be very open-minded and they want to have these conversations I, as an educator, don't feel comfortable having these conversations, but hopefully um, uh, these students can find a parent or an, an older role model to when have you these say, conversations. When you
0: say that they're open-minded to these conversations, so you, so you think that students that you teach are at, at least uh, more open to the idea of talking about sex with adults than maybe you were?
2: I think they're exposed to it at a greater degree,
0: so that it's just like more naturally a part of like what they think about. Yeah, it. it's, it's yeah. a part of the
2: culture. I mean, it's it's a part of the music. It's a part of um, the videos that they that they come across on on various media
0: well, well, platforms. Well, well, well. If a recent New York Times magazine article about pornography is 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 true, it, it seems that teens are watching a lot <laughs> of <laughs> pornography, and it's very easily accessible. I will say online or, or even on social media. Uh, David, you were here for the last time we talked about something like this, so yeah. uh, maybe uh, uh, maybe I'll hold off, and the next time we talk about it, I'll make sure to do it. <laughs> 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 I, I don't think this will be the last time uh, that we talk about these types of issues, and um, it can be uncomfortable, but thank you so much for, for talking about it. For our final segment before Kids These Days, we're trying something new. We're calling it, for now at least, Teacher to Teacher. Think of it as a kind of story core for teachers. You know, story core, that public radio program where two people sit in a sound booth and talk to each other about some important moment or turning point in their life or a person who had an inspirational influence on them usually gets pretty emotional. Well, we recently asked our roster of teachers who participate on No Wrong Answers to think of a memorable teacher they had when they were students, and we said we would tried to set up face-to-face interviews with that teacher. It turns out two of the teachers who you hear regularly on No Wrong Answers at one time knew each other in a much different way. Luann Fox came to a big high school in suburban Kansas City as a third-year teacher about 20 years ago or so. In her honors English course that year was Elaine Jarden, who, by her own admission, was a bit snotty at that time in her life. Here is our Elaine Jarden talking with Luann Fox.
5: I think back about how we acted when we were in high school, and gosh, there's a lot of entitlement at that school. And still there is. And it makes me cringe to think about some of the questions you asked us, and I can remember some of our responses. And I can only imagine you standing up there just like... Who are these people? What are they even doing? So what are
3: the some, what are some of the questions I asked you?
5: We were reading—what's the story that has the character Tea Cake in it? Uh,
3: their Eyes Were Watching God.
5: Their Eyes Were Watching God. Yep, and you were asked—because it's set in the South, isn't it? Yes. Yes. And I remember you had us sitting on the floor in that room with the partition, and um, you were asking us everything that we knew about the South, like some kind of a brain dump thing— And the only thing that anyone was willing to offer up was sharecroppers. And I just remember you looking at us like, literally, that's it. Like, that's the only thing that you have to contribute. And we were so smug, like, hmm, what are you going to do with that answer? And and maybe
3: it's because I was such a new teacher that I forgot that 16-year-olds don't have a lot of life experience. (laughs) And they wouldn't
5: really know anything beyond that. Well, and also we were being kind of snotty. So I think that's fair. Another thing I remember was um, one day, so I used to teach English, and I actually did the same activity with my high school students then. Um, But you had one of those TVs, you know, that was strapped on the big cart. Oh, my God. And you brought it in. And I don't remember what exactly we were watching. I feel like it was related to The Three Musketeers, maybe. But you were having us watch it without the sound. And we thought that was so dumb. And then you turned the TV around and we had to just listen to it without the pictures and like write down the differences in like what we saw versus what we heard and like how that could affect tone and mood and all of those kinds of things. Do you remember that? It was a good lesson because I actually stole that and started doing it. No, but now
3: I want (laughs) to No, but I I forgot that. But now I want to do it again.
5: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was good because I remember we were like, what? You know, we're so excited to see the TV and then you're like, and we're going to watch it without sound and we're all like why? (laughs) But it turned out pretty good. Is there a time that stands out in your mind when you really saw, I don't know, one of those changes in a student that's more like they learned something about character, about being a good citizen rather than the content you were teaching?
3: Yes, absolutely. I, uh, I, I was, and, and it actually happened just a, a few years ago. But I was uh, teaching this person, and uh, he was, he was just such a pill. Mm-hmm. And I could, you know, every teacher's got them. And he, <laughs> he was just, he was just a pill. So I put him. I used the teacher power, and I put him in the seat right by me. Of course. Um, and because he knew that I had the power to do that, he kind of tried to play with me a little bit. And then I realized I could really make it be an issue, or I could try to play with him as well. Mm-hmm. So I sort of like made him be the teacher's like pass out all these papers Mm -hmm. Joe and uh, he could have decided to be a jerk about it but then he decided to play with me back like okay I'll play teacher's pet if you're going to play this stuff with me and then it became this sort of like charade that we were both doing with each other and I figured like that would be well enough okay Mm -hmm. but then I see his stepfather at parent teacher conferences and I didn't even realize it was his stepfather at the time and the I remember the stepfather saying I don't understand why you're having the students write all the time you're so difficult and they're writing and I'm like well um, the class is called AP Language and Composition <laughs> and I swear Elaine the man said I understand that it's called Composition but why are you having the students write so much and so then I was like, okay. And mm-hmm. so that was that was eye-opening to me. And then at one point when Joe was in the classroom because he had to come in and make up stuff and he was already hating me mm-hmm. and all that, I didn't realize that he had to take a few phone calls um, in the classroom while he was making things up with me after school. And they were really agitating him. And, and, and he had more responsibilities at home and more uh, issues with his stepfather than I knew. I didn't know it was his stepfather.
2: Sure, and sure. so when
3: I had the time when I could talk to the student, I was like, like, oh, my gosh, now we're building the relationship. And I get that, like, here's some things going on mm-hmm. with you that I had no idea about. And so writing all these essays for me is really not top of his uh, his list of things that he likes to do. And he wanted to escape his home and get into the military as fast as mm. possible. So I tried to gear some things in talking with him that dealt with um, some literature that dealt with the military. And that, I, he, that actually opened his eyes more. And then um, I said, you know, I think you should read this this particular book, and it was it was probably something like All Quiet in the Western Front. I wasn't teaching it, but it was a challenge. It was like, I challenge you to read that. I just don't think you're going to, but I challenge you to mm-hmm. do that. And uh, then I challenged him <laughs> to actually have me read a book that he liked, and he was like, you're kidding, right, because you're a teacher and you're not going to do such a thing. And I wanted to keep my <laughs> words, so I'm like, whatever it is.
5: Yeah. So,
3: you know, broaden my horizons because I don't know what you're interested in. And I I wrote, I read this YA novel that it dealt with uh, game theory and it dealt with uh, video games in ways that I'm not very good at. And there mm-hmm. were questions I had about it. And I was able to talk to him about that. And then his writing improved in class. He started to want to come to class, and he wasn't just playing teacher's pet. He actually came in on breaks, and I could write recommendations mm-hmm. for him to go. And he's he's in the military right now, and he's he's doing, he's doing well, and he comes back and he visits. And it was just like I took that moment, and I needed to take that moment. I mm-hmm. wish I had done it sooner.
5: Well, I should ask. I should ask you, Lane. Sorry, a I feel question. like I'm just grilling you. No, I have a no, lot I want to know. <laughs> but I mean, okay, so, yeah. No, go ahead. I just,
3: um, so what? What? Hi, Lane. What nice. made you get into teaching? I mean, how did did you always know that no. when you were in school, or what? No, what no, was no. Your journey
5: like? Um, so I left high school and I was like, I'm gonna study science. I really loved science. Thought it would be great. Um, got to Ku and I was like, mm, I don't know that I want to do just like a pure science. So why not try pharmacy out? That seems really cool. You still get to interact with people sometimes, but you also get to do all the sciencey things. And so I got a job at an OSCO pharmacy over by um, Bentwood Elementary in Olathe. And I was working there, and being a pharmacist, in a retail pharmacy is so boring. You just count, you know, Mm -hmm. it's literally counting to 10 and then scooting pills over. Um, But the thing I liked was talking with people about how to fight with their insurance companies. I thought Mm -hmm. that was really exciting, you know, getting to say like, oh, you need to tell them this and you need this documentation and helping them make those phone calls. And then uh, I was telling somebody else about that, you know, I was like, this job really sucks, but this is the part I like. And they're like, well, that's what like, that's what English teachers do is they teach people how to do that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, that seems all right. Um, And English always came pretty easily to me, and I liked it a lot. And so I thought, why not do this for a while? And then I I never thought I would still be teaching. I was Mm -hmm. like, maybe three years, you know, I'll try it out, see if I even like it. Mm -hmm. And then I student taught, and I loved the school that I student taught in, and I was really lucky to get a lot of support there. And then that's where I ended up working, and I loved the kids, and I don't know. Then I've just kind of been riding that. For now and it's a lot better than I ever thought it would when be. When you
3: change subjects because you I went did. from English to math, I was did. that a big thing for you? Do you want to do that?
5: Yeah. Well I found I started thinking about it and I was like, if the whole reason I'm doing this is to teach people how to advocate, like the real equity battle is in math. There's math keeps people out in ways that other subjects don't. You know, it's very much like you know, you have to have this prerequisite and you have to have this test score or else you don't belong in this class. And so I see, especially middle school math in particular, like that's where I can lay the foundation to higher level math for more kids. And so that's what I'm doing now. And it's middle school math is fun. It's hands on. You get to do a lot of problem solving and talking about your thinking and writing about your thinking, which is a lot like what I was doing in English. It's just mm-hmm. that the text is numbers instead of Absolutely. a book. Well, I'm very proud of you. Well, thanks. I always have been. Thank you. Thanks for having this conversation with me. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah.
0: That was Elaine Jarden talking with Luann Fox. And that's our first installment of what we're calling Teacher to Teacher, where teachers talk with the teachers who had an impact on them as students. We'd like to keep doing this, and we'd like your help. If you have a teacher in mind who made an impact on you as a student, and you still think about that teacher now in your own classroom, Send us an email at NoWrongAnswersPod at gmail.com. That's no wrong answers pod at gmail.com. Tell us your name and the name of the teacher you want to talk to. Give us some contact information, and we'll try to set it up. It's preferable if we can get both of you in the same room together. Stay tuned. We're going to do Kids These Days after the credits. This episode of No Wrong Answers is sponsored by the Kaufman Foundation. No Wrong Answers retains total editorial control in what our teachers say are their personal opinions, which may not reflect the official policies of the schools and districts they work for. Like us at Facebook, follow us on Twitter, just search for the No Wrong Answers podcast by Fountain City Frequency. Find us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, and once you do, subscribe and leave us a review. It helps. There are no other podcasts like ours giving you a teacherly take on the world. If you enjoy this conversation, subscribe, leave us a review, and keep the conversation going. Now... Kids these days, Luann, what are your kids into?
3: Uh well, one thing about students that doesn't change is that, you know, around this time of the year they're they want to talk about the Academy Awards. So
0: my no, kids really, are
3: yeah. Mom, my, my kids are into like what well, movies did you see? What well, movies did you see? What's gonna get whatever? Right. So that that the buzz of that is in and the so classroom. we are
0: we are taping on on the actual day mm-hmm. of the Academy Awards, so we don't know who has won yet. Probably right. by the time you listen to this, the winners will be known. And most certainly that will be the mm-hmm. case. Um, but what are the what are the movies that your students are really into?
3: Uh, the one the ones that I hear my students talk about uh, surprisingly are Dunkirk and uh, Call Me by Your Name, which are miles apart from each other, but right. those seem to be the ones that my students have seen.
4: Interesting, yeah. Uh, David, what are your kids into? Uh, everyone has been talking about Black Panther nonstop. I had another thing, but movies just kind of sparked my interest. And in, like my student body is like we're like ninety five percent African American and. Most of our kids have seen the movie like several times including yeah. myself and so we're constantly <laughs> talking about and like making specific What is that conversation like
0: because we, I mean last episode we just had a we just interviewed a, a bunch of kids about Black Panther um,
4: Oh, they so, all love that. So
0: I'll plug that but what did your kids say? You
4: know? Um It's interesting. I teach 9 through 12 and so I was able to have slightly different conversations with, with the ninth graders It was more about just like the significance of the movie with regards to representation But I was able to have conversations with my 12th graders about like, you know, geopolitics because, you know, there's some very high level themes in the movie that, you know, it it, it addresses. And I think some of my kids wanted to unpack, you know, the implications of that. It's like, what if we had a, you know, fictional African society that wasn't colonized? What does that look like? You know, they still have a moral obligation to help others and and different things like that. So it was really cool to kind of like, you know, um, indulge in those conversations with them. Um, But also just they were just like doing specific gestures and random things from the movie all the time, like the... Um, we'll this is an audio forever. recording. Yeah, it'll kind of forever. Yeah, like, like everywhere. It's kind of just greeting each other that way. Yeah. It's, it's, it's great.
0: Uh, and, I, and I will say, we, we had that uh, conversation on our last episode. So if you didn't listen to that, go back and listen to our conversation about Black Panther. Ryan, what are your kids into?
2: Zombies. <laughs> Not the flesh eating, brain eating zombies, but the singing, dancing, and romancing zombies. There is a new uh, TV movie musical called Zombies and it's about um, how the race of zombies are ostracized from the human race and how uh, zombies are trying to integrate into human high schools and they sing and dance and... Zombies. Yeah, zombies.
0: (laughs) I think elementary school kids will be will be into zombies for a while. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, well, thanks to our teachers this week, Luann Fox, David Persley, and Ryan So. Thanks, as always, to Matt Hodep, who produces the podcast. Thank you to KCUR 89.3, Kansas City Public Radio, where we tape. And remember, kids, be nice to your teachers.